The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery podcast. We are glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. Together, we share ways that spirituality and addiction recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your own recovery journey. We're basically a couple of recovery nerds and ordained unity ministers sharing our experience, strength, and hope on this spiritual journey of addiction recovery. We hope that something you hear today will be helpful to you in your own recovery journey. We invite your questions, comments, wisdom, and feedback anytime. Just send an email to spiritofrecoveryunity at gmail.com. Facebook users, you can message us from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. And however you choose to reach out, be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. Our episode today is titled, You Gotta Know When to Hold Them, like that old Kenny Rogers song. And as the old song tells us, sometimes we need to hold on to things and sometimes we need to let go. Fortunately for us in addiction recovery, we make a spiritual practice of taking personal inventory as a way of life. If we find we are wrong, we promptly admit it. If we persevere in this practice, we find a meaningful purpose in life. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on when to hold them and when to fold them on the path to purposeful living. Yeah, so purposeful living. I I, I think when I was um, actively drinking, actively in my addiction, there was a lot that was not purposeful. (laughs) Yeah, There was a lot that was just kind of... uh, okay, let's say I lacked self-awareness, you know, Um, self-consciousness I had because I was in my early twenties and that's a very self-conscious time, but self-consciousness apparently is not the same thing as self-awareness. Self-consciousness is like, oh my God, what does everybody think of me? Oh my God, I got to look good. I got to look good. Self-awareness is something entirely different. It's that ability to see ourselves and our behavior and how it impacts others. Well, I definitely did not have that ability. I, um, I could barely see how my behavior affected myself, much less how it affected other people. You know, I was very self-centered. Um, I mean, some of that is natural for being in your early twenties. That's a self-centered time, but, um, I just, you know, I, I acted carelessly, Um, I certainly was careless with myself, which, you know, I've had periods in sobriety when I've had real sadness over the carelessness 
with which I treated myself, you know, um, situations that I put myself into. I wasn't careful with myself. I wasn't, um, I didn't take good care of myself in the sense that I, um, I let people hurt me and I, you know, like I say, put myself in dangerous situations. I mean, we all have those things, right? Where it's like, it's a wonder I'm even here with some of the stuff that I did and some of the, you know, just people that I had around me that I, you know, just, just stupid, stupid stuff, careless, careless with myself, taking stupid risks. Um, And I think that some of it was um, now, now that I can look back, I think that some of it was depression related. You know, you and I talk about this a lot about um, not even realizing that we probably had some low grade chronic depression all of our lives. Yes. And it's really interesting to me the way alcoholics are depressed and then we choose to take a depressant to cure our depression. (laughs) It it takes an alcoholic mind to come up with that solution. (laughs) I mean, we weren't thinking of it that way. I think we were thinking more of numbing the pain, right? Or, you know, when I drink, I don't feel that, um, I don't feel that depression. It somehow lifts um, or turns into something else. So I think that there was almost a, um, almost a purposeful recklessness with myself, you know, like, let's see what I can do to myself and get away with. And, um, so yeah, there's some sadness that I have now when I look back at some of the stuff, some of the situations I put myself into and, um, just wasn't careful with myself and just didn't have any self-awareness really at all. Yeah, I, I was in the same boat and, you know, we, um, I think for many of us, for well, for you and I, and for many of us in recovery, we have some things in common from our pre-recovery days and, and what you're saying I can totally identify with. And, you know, we're talking about today, both about taking personal inventory, so self-assessment, like paying attention to what am I doing? How am I showing up in the world? What What have I done or did I do something that wasn't right and and do I need to you know make amends for it or just um, change my behavior you know make a living amends for it or or what and that all you know happens as we move out of active addiction and hopefully it happens as we move out of active addiction and into sobriety so my sort of before I got on this path all kinds of crazy stuff the same as you and of course we're of a we're of a certain level in, of wisdom where there were everyone didn't have a, a high quality video camera in their pocket everywhere they went. Thank God for that. I can't even imagine. Can you imagine? No, <laughs> I can't. Of course, if that were true, we probably modified our behavior, but maybe anyway. So confusion is a word I might use to describe my mind. Uh, before I, I got on a recovery path and not overtly. I mean, sometimes overtly. And again, I always say this, but it just always strikes me. I didn't know. And no one from the outside would have known looking in, you know, like you said, uh, uh, many of us and I, I fit this uh, description have a sort of chronic low grade depression during that time. And I remember distinctly talking to a therapist once who said to me, you know, as I was sharing about depression, you know, alcohol is a depressant. And of course, my mind's going, and what does that have to do with me? 
I can't make, couldn't make the connection because my mind was not working that well because it was generally, you know, alcohol soaked or it had been (laughs) too much uh, alcohol in it for too many years at that point. And, you know, as we know, I could, I could have at that time, you know, passed a breathalyzer where maybe scientifically there's no alcohol in my blood, but my brain is still deeply affected in a, in a much more profound way than just however much alcohol happens to be in my system at the moment. I mean, that's, that was a revelation for me when I realized that my mind was um, compromised, even when I had no alcohol in my system. Anyway, not thinking clearly is how I yeah. might characterize that. Yeah, not thinking clearly. And like I said, no self-awareness because so that's how it was. And then, of course, the recovery journey um, has been a journey of beginning to build that understanding and self-awareness. Right. So that and that has been a lifelong process for me. I mean, I'm still very much engaged in it. This um, this process of knowing thyself, you know, beginning with understanding so it's really you know when we come into recovery the first thing we start doing is gaining some self-awareness oh my gosh this is why i do this oh my gosh this is why i drink this is you know because before it was just um an automatic response it wasn't something we'd ever considered right so then you know i i think most people go through this process i know i did start to really examine myself you know i i with the 12 steps but also i did um you know, I did counseling and I did all kinds of different, um, you know, started attending church and doing spiritual work and all this stuff to begin to know myself and figure out what the heck was going on with me. Because basically, you know, I didn't want to know myself. I didn't want to be self-aware. I think that was the purpose of the alcohol was to not be self-aware, was to be self-unaware, you know, to be, because I didn't, I didn't want to be, um, I had so much shame and self-loathing on board that I didn't want to, who wants to be aware of that? That's no fun. You know? So then there was this sort of process where I began to know myself um, correlated with reduction of shame. Right. So as I was reducing that built up shame, I was the, the more I could reduce the shame, the more I could come to know myself which makes sense, right? When you're filled with shame over everything, um, you don't want to be in touch with yourself because it's not a good feeling. So um, that process of self-awareness and and beginning to figure out what is it that's going on in me, you know, and that brought a lot of clarity and continues to bring clarity today. You know, I continue this process of Um, It's all about just basically being aware, like instead of just doing stuff and not, not even, you know, being in touch with what I'm doing. It's like, oh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? What is going on within me? Um, And that requires me to also be engaged in an ongoing process of healing the shame so that I can continue, you know what I'm saying? So that I can continue to, um, It's basically like a peeling away of layers, just peeling away layers and layers and getting to who I really am underneath all of that crap that I had layered on top of who I was. 
Yeah, I totally identify with that. I was just talking about that yesterday at church, even that 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 very um, idea of that my my mind, you know, had created certain things that I decided were true based on my experiences, you know, especially when we're really young, like pre uh, grade school, even. And, you know, we're all unaware of those things. And just like you, for me, I think, you know, alcohol acted sort of as an insulator, um, something that I could just feel better about life and everything, like everything could would be okay if I was either drinking or knew that I would be drinking later. And yeah. um, so there's no, it, it sort of facilitates keeping that stuff down, right? It's the opposite yes. of self-awareness practice where we are yeah. purposely looking to let that stuff come up so that it can be brought into the light, so to speak. You know, we talk about shadow work. We're unaware of yes. those things, which means, you know, they're they're in the shadows. We can't see them. We're unaware of them. And if we can find a way to, um, you know, have the courage and the support to let them start to come into the light, well, then they can be healed. We can, yes. we have the opportunity to re-experience them, which is not very fun. But the good news is that when I, when I have the chance to re-experience something that had been traumatic earlier as a grown person an older, hopefully wiser person with more support, both internally and externally, then I have the opportunity to make a different decision. I don't have to go down the path that I went when I was little. Yeah. So this, you know, we mentioned the power of understanding, for example, we talked about um, what's essentially the 10th step, the taking personal inventory, like noticing what, what is my deal? What have I done? What's going on with me? <clears throat> 10th step, did I do anything today that was, you know, outside uh, of my, my best, my highest and best? And if I did, then do I need to do anything about it? Power of understanding. You know, we're talking about Unity's 12 Powers framework that the, our co-founder, Charles Fillmore, um, brought up. And one of those 12 powers is the power of understanding, which is defined simply as the ability to know, perceive, comprehend, and apprehend. It's fairly self-explanatory. Well, when we get on our um, sobriety path and we become willing to look at our behavior, both present and past, and we have the opportunity to sort of reassess and we gain, we regain the power of choice where we had none before. Right. Power of understanding helps us sort of clarify what's going on so that I might make better decisions. That's how I that's how I have come to think of it. It's mm -hmm. an opportunity to revisit <clears throat> some old wounds and turn, let them be healed by um, re-experiencing them now and making a different decision. Yeah. So I wanted to just sort of back up for a second and um, just mentioned that this type of work that we're talking about, you mentioned shadow work and healing um, childhood shame, uh, trauma response issues. This is, um, this is serious business, you know, this yeah. is, um, so there's a reason that it doesn't come until 
Well, it really comes in the um, eighth and ninth steps, right? When we're doing the amends and then again in the 10th step. But there's a reason these, these steps are, um, they come in the order that they do for a very good reason. They're very well thought out. Before we even get to doing this kind of work, we've done what I think is the most important work, which is the first three steps, which lay the foundation for everything else, right? Most yeah, importantly, yeah. most importantly, the second step of having come to believe in a higher power. This is so crucial because there is no way that I could have begun to look at my I'm going to swear. Can I swear on here? Look at my, let's say stuff. Look at my stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> until I had on board the unconditional love of a higher power and that unconditional love of God had begun to crack me open and heal me just enough that I could start to look at this nastiness, this yucky stuff that I had inside. Yeah. I don't recommend doing it without that love of God on board because I was, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I needed, you know, I needed that love of God to begin to heal me, to begin to make me feel just the tiniest bit better about myself. And of course, also, you know, the wonderful support of a loving sponsor that I had, um, loving, supportive groups that I went to, you know, I mostly attended women's meetings. So I had, you know, a lot of women around me that were supportive. Um, by then I had a stint, I had started attending a unity church and was getting weekly, you know, double dose, triple dose of this, um, one power and one presence that we call God, that we say is good, that we say is love. Um, that was beginning to do its work on me. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. So I had to begin to heal that stuff enough to be able to look at it and to know that when, when I brought up some of the stuff that I felt really yucky about, that I could turn that stuff over to this loving God and that I had this God that loved me anyway. Um, to me, that's the only way to do this work. That, that's how I had to do it. That's what I needed. And it's what I continue to need to this day, um, you know, when I'm dealing with things about myself that I don't like or admitting something that I've done wrong, I can spiral into that shame really, really quickly. It's amazing, you know, but I have tools now when that begins to happen, you know, I can pray, I can um, ask for God's, you know, support and love and guidance or affirm as we do in unity, that that support and love and guidance is always there. Um, you know, I, I, lately I do a lot of inner child work. And um, for me, the inner child work is about allowing the love of God to flow through me to that child. So I need that higher power 
in order to find that unconditional love within myself, right? That's where it comes from. The unconditional love that I'm capable of comes from the higher power. And I can then send that love to my inner child as well as to other people, but it's got to come from somewhere, you know? Um, so it's tapping into that that um, higher self that's within me that is connected to the higher power that is the source of everything. I'm really glad that you said that because I sometimes we and and you often remember sort of go flying past the foundational piece of all of this and start talking mm. about the particulars and and I I found myself jotting some notes as you shared about you know, beginning with the foundation of higher power for, you know, what I would call internal support for this work that we do. And then I just started mm -hmm. to jot down, well, what, what are all the components of a, what I call a support system that I have built for myself that mm -hmm. I now, um, I'll, I'll say rely on, meaning it's just part of my life. Anywhere I go, if I was missing any piece of it, I can go find that piece. But it always starts with, um, you know, our higher power is God as we understand God, just like you said in the second step. But for me, it also includes, um, you know, sort of inside program things like having a home group. You mm -hmm. talked about all the great groups that you had been a part of. And I, and I, they, you know, recovery community is also essential to me in my journey as well. And then doing the step work, of course, is another tool that I have. Uh, working with a sponsor as a guide for the step work has been critical for me. And then, um, you know, more indirectly, just recovery friends. You know, probably the, the best friends yeah. that I have today are people I've met in recovery because we are, as our literature says, like shipwreck survivors. You know, we have this common <laughs> experience that's a deep bond yeah. um, between us. And also, and I've mentioned before, I do weekly counseling and I have for years, more than 10 years, more than 12 years at this point, wow. done weekly um, talk counseling because it's an important part of my growth and support mm -hmm. system. It allows me, it supports me as I continue to do uh, the inner work. And then also, um, I've talked before about having that kind of low grade chronic depression i take medication now yeah. for that and yeah. i have taken that for years and years and years yes. which is super helpful that of course through the guidance of an appropriate physician right I, I don't buy that on the street corner right i, I don't get that <laughs> at the liquor store I, I get that from the appropriate um helpers yes. so sometimes we need not only the program and things that are directly part of the program but things that are sort of related to it and outside help as well, things that are outside the program, like count, talk counseling and um, medication. Mm -hmm. So I have this whole support system that I have created because somebody told me to do it and it made sense to me at the time enough that I began and I could never have done, I could never have done what I've done or be where I am in, on my recovery path. I could never be in this place in my recovery path without every one of those pieces and they all add up to a very stable um, support network for me you know I don't think mm -hmm. about drinking I'm not concerned about drinking 
Um, I acknowledge that it's always possible. And if I could step off that cliff, sure. I, it's not, it's not, I'm not immune to it or anything. It's just that I have my focus on all these other things. And I have this support system that helps keep me focused on recovery. And I really have come to the point now where I enjoy sober living. You know, mm-hmm. Heather and I even went dancing the other night, like, like at a club and I, I would bet a lot of money. We're the only sober people in the room. <laughs> Maybe there was somebody else, but it sure didn't seem like it. And I could just be fully present to everything yep. that was happening instead of being compromised and yes. having my experience filtered through a chemical. I don't want to do that. Yeah. I want to be fully present to everything that's happening. It's intense. It can be hard. I understand why people would want to drink. I don't want to drink, but I get it. Believe me. But man, do I prefer eyes wide open? Yes, absolutely. Just more. It's real and it's fascinating and fun and it's a hell of an experience. Yes, we absolutely do insist, as the big book says, on enjoying life. Yes. I mean, we wouldn't be sober all these years if we were miserable. We would have given it up and been like, this is no fun. Right. Right. I mean, we, we, you know, if you're new to sobriety, you will find that sobriety is a kick, you know? (laughs) In and of itself, it's true. It takes a while to get there, but you'll get there. And one of the perks of sobriety is like Dan was sharing going to some sort of an event where others are drinking. I'm not saying I, you know, recommend you doing this, but (laughs) at some point it will happen, you know, I mean, and I'm not talking about necessarily everybody's wasted, but you know, the other night, you know, we had our church banquet, people were drinking wine, nobody was drunk or anything, but you know, there people are, people are drinking out there and they're drinking normally and that's fine, but it is such a kick to be the one that is stone cold sober you know, and um, get to observe how the alcohol is affecting others. And it's just, yeah, it's interesting because again, because with sobriety comes that awareness, you know, that total awareness, that just clarity um, of what's happening and what's going on. And what I love about that is um, being able to make clear eyed decisions You know, and if it's a wrong decision, that's okay, because I made it clear eyed, I made it sober. Okay, so I messed up so I can fix it. The problem was when I was drinking, I didn't make choices, choices made me. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't even choose, oh, I'm going to date this person. No, it's like few drinks, boom, we're dating. You know what I mean? Like, how did this happen? (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, seriously, not making conscious choices about life, just kind of letting life just knock me around and just kind of ending up in situations and not knowing how I got there. And, but it was also a way of abdicating responsibility. It was like, well, I don't know how this happened, you know? So, um, you know, this understanding and this clarity and this living, you know, purposefully is about making you know, making purposeful choices, being able to say, I know how I got here and taking responsibility for the choice that I made. And if it's a mistake, then I fix it, you know. Um, But it's a wonderful feeling to be clear, to have that clarity, to have that clear thinking brain and, and to um, take responsibility for choices. It feels really good. 
You know, it didn't just finding myself in situations without having made a choice that didn't feel good. You know, I thought it was fun. I mean, it certainly had its element of fun, but um, making clear choices about my life and being basically being an adult, you know, being an adult and um, being aware of what I'm doing. And it's just it's a much better way to live. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the ways that we can work on developing that awareness in addition to remaining sober. You know, you and I always love to um, to tout the benefits of a mindfulness practice. Yeah. And um, my way of teaching mindfulness in my own community is to keep it really, really simple because we can talk ourselves out of a meditation practice by making it too complicated. And it really is not, you know, start out, set a timer for five minutes and just sit. And, um, you know, if you have to focus on something, focus on your breath, you know, and just be aware of breathing, aware of breathing out. And you focused on only your breath doesn't work for you. Um, another thing you can do is be aware of sounds, like just sit and quietly listen. Um, if you have a place that you can go outside and listen to nature sounds, I um, highly suggest that. I think nature sounds are much more healing than artificial sounds. Sit outside in your backyard for five minutes and listen to the birds. Pretty much anywhere you live, there's going to be birds. So, you know, it doesn't have to be complicated. It's just a practice of being aware, aware of the sounds around you, aware of the sensations. Am I feeling cold or warm? Am I, what do, do I feel the breeze on my skin? Um, and start with real short, even if, if five minutes is too long, start with two minutes, then three minutes, work up to five, then work up to 10. The goal is not to... In my personal opinion, for the average meditator, the goal is not to meditate for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour. If you work up to that and you enjoy it, great. I've been meditating every day for about six or seven years now, and I usually meditate for anywhere between 10 and 20 or 25 minutes. It just depends on the day. Sometimes it's only five because that's my deal with myself. If I do five, then I'm done. If I do more, excellent. So keeping it really simple. This is, this is just a way to develop our own powers of awareness because the, the active addiction has blunted that, right? We wanted it to blunt that. We didn't want to be aware. So be gentle with yourself as you ease into developing awareness because it can feel uncomfortable at first. So it's something to just ease into, do it a little bit more, a little bit more. And if you prefer doing a guided meditation, I often do that. I have Insight Timer. I'm, I'm not sponsored by them, although I should be. But um, Insight Timer or any of the other free apps you can get, you just click on something, take the guesswork out of it. But add at least five minutes of meditation to your life daily. And that will really, really, over time, it's a, it's a long-term cumulative effect right over time that will transform your life it will yeah yeah that's solid counsel thank you for that you know you talked a minute ago about ending up in situations and i have to share this joke that i heard some comedian or other talking about the denny's restaurant she's like nobody goes to denny's you end up at denny's <laughs> i'm like yeah it is it's kind of like that 
How did I end up in this situation, you know, after doing all those tequila shots? Oh, yes. So my, about- my story like that is a green beer situation. It's a oh, St. Right. Patrick's Day green yeah. beer situation. Yeah. So Same thing. How did I end up here? Clarity of purpose broadly. And I want to add that along with that, for me, and you know, in my experience came a kind of calmness and a sort of a quiet confidence that all grew out of that clarity and out of doing the kind of work that we do here in a recovery program. But now it is the time in our podcast for recovery in a nutshell, where we take uh, some of the pieces of everything we've just said and boil it down to, well, if we got to only mention three of them, what might those three be, say, call it recovery in a nutshell. So Reverend Michelle, in a nutshell, what are some, if someone asks you, what are some simple steps I can take? or simple tools I can use to find clarity of purpose through, say, understanding? Well, I would say um, adding a practice of prayer and meditation to your life is the most important thing because, you know, most of us, when we come into recovery, we, we find this higher power. Most of us didn't have it before, or we had a different version of it that no longer works. So when we get a new higher power, a new relationship with God, we have to spend time developing that relationship. Just like any other relationship, it is built and it grows through time spent, right? So we have to spend daily time in prayer and it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be, it can be anything. It can be taking a walk and just talking to God in your mind. It can be observing nature. It can be doing meditation, spending time seeking to commune with the God of our understanding um, and beginning to trust that power, seeking its guidance, and then finding that when you follow its guidance, things work out well, that begins to build that trust. You know, Um, most of the time now, I don't make decisions without seeking divine guidance in some way. Um, It's just a better way to live and my choices end up being better. So I would say um, adding that building that relationship with the higher power through prayer and meditation and time spent communing with the God of our understanding. You know, I I would give the same answer. I'm going to do it slightly differently because this quote from the big book comes to mind. So that's going to be my answer to that question is from the big book on page 86. It reads, in thinking about our day, we may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here, we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. We're often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried this for a while. Mm -hmm. I can't say it any better than that. And that that brings in what you're talking about with the mindfulness practice and, you know, relying on a higher power for guidance and, and all of it. Yes, absolutely. Well, as always, we have an affirmation for you. And today our affirmation says, focused on divine wisdom, I know what is mine to do, and I do it. Once again, focused on divine wisdom, I know what is mine to do, and I do it. Well, it's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another episode of Spirit of Recovery, and we're grateful. We hope you have found something in all of our chit-chatting that you find genuinely helpful in your own journey. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery path. 
And as always, we invite your questions, comments, wisdom, and feedback anytime. Find us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, or email us at spiritofrecoveryunity at gmail.com. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope that you'll join us again. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. And whatever you do, don't drink like my co-host. It's a very bad idea. (laughs) It's a bad idea. (laughs) Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.